Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. René Descartes, Meditations on First Philosophy. Meditation number four of Truth and Error. Part one. I have been habituated these bygone days to detach my mind from the senses, and I have accurately observed that there is exceedingly little which is known with certainty regarding corporeal objects, that we know much more of the human mind, and still more of God himself. I am thus able now, without difficulty, to abstract my mind from the contemplation of sensible or imaginable objects and apply it to those which, as disengaged from all matter, are purely intelligible. And certainly the idea I have of the human mind, insofar as it is a thinking thing, and not extended in length, breadth, and depth, and participating in none of the properties of body, is incomparably more distinct than the idea of any corporeal object. And when I consider that I doubt, in other words, that I am an incomplete and dependent being, the idea of a complete and independent being, that is to say of God, occurs to my mind with so much clearness and distinctness, and from the fact alone that this idea is found in me, or that I who possess it exist, the conclusions that God exists, and that my own existence, each moment of its continuance, is absolutely dependent upon Him, are so manifest as to lead me to believe it impossible that the human mind can know anything with more clearness and certitude. And now I seem to discover a path that will conduct us from the contemplation of the true God, in whom are contained all the treasures of science and wisdom, to the knowledge of the other things in the universe. For, in the first place, I discover that it is impossible for him ever to deceive me, for in all fraud and deceit there is a certain imperfection. And although it may seem that the ability to deceive is a mark of subtlety or power, yet the will testifies without doubt of malice and weakness, and such, accordingly, cannot be found in God. In the next place, I am conscious that I possess a certain faculty of judging or discerning truth from error, which I doubtless received from God, along with whatever else is mine. And since it is impossible that he should will to deceive me, it is likewise certain that he has not given me a faculty that will ever lead me into error, provided I use it aright. And there would remain no doubt on this head did it not seem to follow from this, that I can never therefore be deceived. For if all I possess be from God, and if he planted in me no faculty that is deceitful, it seems to follow that I can never fall into error. Accordingly, it is true that when I think only of God, when I look upon myself as coming from God, and turn wholly to him, I discover in myself no cause of error or falsity. But immediately thereafter, recurring to myself, experience assures me that I am nevertheless subject to innumerable errors. When I come to inquire into the cause of these, 
I observe that there is not only present to my consciousness a real and positive idea of God, or of a being supremely perfect, but also, so to speak, a certain negative idea of nothing. In other words, of that which is at an infinite distance from every sort of perfection, and that I am, as it were, a mean between God and nothing, or placed in such a way between absolute existence and non-existence, that there is in truth nothing in me to lead me into error, in so far as an absolute being is my creator, but that, on the other hand, as I thus likewise participate in some degree of nothing or of non-being, in other words, as I am not myself the supreme being, and as I am wanting in many perfections, it is not surprising I should fall into error. And I hence discern that error, so far as error is not something real, which depends for its existence on God, but is simply defect. And therefore that, in order to fall into it, it is not necessary God should have given me a faculty expressly for this end, but that my being deceived arises from the circumstance that the power which God has given me of discerning truth from error is not infinite. Nevertheless, this is not yet quite satisfactory, for error is not a pure negation. In other words, it is not the simple deficiency or want of some knowledge which is not due, but the privation or want of some knowledge which it would seem I ought to possess. But on considering the nature of God, it seems impossible that he should have planted in his creature any faculty not perfect in its kind, that is, wanting in some perfection due to it. For if it be true that in proportion to the skill of the maker the perfection of his work is greater, what thing can have been produced by the supreme creator of the universe that is not absolutely perfect in all its parts? And assuredly, there is no doubt that God could have created me such that I should never be deceived. It is certain likewise that he always wills what is best. Is it better, then, that I should be capable of being deceived than that I should not? Considering this more attentively, the first thing that occurs to me is the reflection that I must not be surprised if I am not always capable of comprehending the reasons why God acts as he does. Nor must I doubt of his existence because I find, perhaps, that there are several other things besides the present respecting which I understand neither why nor how they were created by him. For, knowing already that my nature is extremely weak and limited, and that the nature of God, on the other hand, is immense, incomprehensible, and infinite, I have no longer any difficulty in discerning that there is an infinity of things in his power whose causes transcend the grasp of my mind. And this consideration alone is sufficient to convince me that the whole class of final causes is of no avail in physical or natural things. For it appears to me that I cannot, without exposing myself to the charge of temerity, seek to discover the impenetrable ends of deity. It therefore occurs to me that we must not consider only one creature apart from the others, if we wish to determine the perfection of the works of deity, but generally all his creatures together. 
for the same object that might, perhaps, with some show of reason, be deemed highly imperfect if it were alone in the world, may for all that be the most perfect possible, considered as forming part of the whole universe. And although, as it was my purpose to doubt of everything, I only as yet know with certainty my own existence and that of God, nevertheless, after having remarked the infinite power of deity, I cannot deny that he may have produced many other objects, or at least that he is able to produce them, so that I may occupy a place in the relation of a part to the great whole of his creatures. Whereupon, regarding myself more closely, and considering what my errors are, which alone testify to the existence of imperfection in me, I observe that these depend on the concurrence of two causes, namely, the faculty of cognition, which I possess, and that of election, or the power of free choice. In other words, the understanding and the will. For by the understanding alone I neither affirm nor deny anything, but merely apprehend, percipio, the ideas regarding which I may form a judgment. Nor is any error, properly so called, found in it thus accurately taken. And although there are perhaps innumerable objects in the world, of which I have no idea in my understanding, it cannot, on that account, be said that I am deprived of those ideas as of something that is due to my nature, but simply that I do not possess them, because, in truth, there is no ground to prove that deity ought to have endowed me with a larger faculty of cognition than he has actually bestowed upon me. And however skillful a workman I suppose him to be, I have no reason, on that account, to think that it was obligatory on him to give to each of his works all the perfections he is able to bestow upon some. Nor, moreover, can I complain that God has not given me freedom of choice, or a will sufficiently ample and perfect, since, in truth, I am conscious of will so ample and extended as to be superior to all limits. And what appears to me here to be highly remarkable is that, of all the other properties I possess, there is none so great and perfect as that I do not clearly discern it could be still greater and more perfect. For, to take an example, if I consider the faculty of understanding which I possess, I find that it is of very small extent and greatly limited, and at the same time, I form the idea of another faculty of the same nature, much more ample and even infinite. And seeing that I can frame the idea of it, I discover, from this circumstance alone, that it pertains to the nature of God. In the same way, if I examine the faculty of memory or imagination, or any other faculty I possess, I find none that is not small and circumscribed and in God immense and infinite. It is the faculty of will only, or freedom of choice, which I experience to be so great that I am unable to conceive the idea of another that shall be more ample and extended, so that it is chiefly my will which leads me to discern that I bear a certain image and similitude of deity. For although the faculty of will is incomparably greater in God than in myself, 
as well in respect of the knowledge and power that are conjoined with it, and that render it strong and more efficacious, as in respect of the object, since in him it extends to a greater number of things. It does not, nevertheless, appear to me greater, considered in itself formally and precisely. For the power of will consists only in this, that we are able to do or not do the same thing, that is, to affirm or deny, to pursue or shun it, or rather in this alone, that in affirming or denying, pursuing or shunning what is proposed to us by the understanding, we so act that we are not conscious of being determined to a particular action by any external force. For, to the possession of freedom, it is not necessary that I be alike indifferent toward each of two contraries. But on the contrary, the more I am inclined toward the one, whether because I clearly know that in it there is the reason of truth and goodness, or because God thus internally disposes my thought, the more freely do I choose and embrace it. And assuredly divine grace and natural knowledge very far from diminishing liberty, rather augment and fortify it. But the indifference of which I am conscious when I am not impelled to one side rather than to another for want of a reason is the lowest grade of liberty. And manifest defect or negation of knowledge rather than perfection of will. For if I always clearly knew what was true and good, I should never have any difficulty in determining what judgment I ought to come to, and what choice I ought to make, and I should thus be entirely free without ever being indifferent. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be, and when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.